Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is one of the biggest of the year. Always is between Canada and Cincinnati. So much to get into. Congratulations to Pablo Carreño Busta for his first Masters 1000 title. I will break down his final, where he beat Hubert Hercotch in three sets. I'm super happy for him, and I'll get more into that as well. Also, a preview of Cincinnati. Quarter by quarter, as always, you know the deal. Um, dark horses, popcorn matchups, upset alerts, quarterfinal and final weekend predictions. But first, I want to hit the U.S. Open Power Rankings, which are just wild. Uh, they, they really are. I hate them, actually. I don't like the Power Rankings. I don't think they look right. Uh, they're all out of whack, and I'll get into why in a moment. Um here is what it looked like before last week's results were taken into account. Medvedev 1, Nadal 2, Alcaraz 3, Kyrgios 4, Berrettini 5, Tsitsipas 6, FAA 7, Sinner 8, Fritz 9, Rublev 10. And what happened last week is pretty much everyone in the gray area of the power ranking, which is from... Five to ten. Nobody did well. Nobody went deep. Five through ten in the power ranking. Like after Kyrgios. And by the way, Alcaraz at three, he lost early as well against Tommy Paul. So everybody lost last week. Now you have a couple guys who are outside of the power rankings. Just outside the power rankings. Hubert Hercotch, Kaspar Ruud. Pablo Carreño Busto, who's been in the U.S. Open Power Rankings or next out in the past. It's not like PCB's been, you know, off the radar on, on a hard court coming to the U.S. Open. No, he's made the semis there twice. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure last year he might have snuck in at like number 10 or something. Um, so all these guys who are borderline guys, they all went deep. So, you know, it's tough because they weren't in the power rankings for a reason. So do I just, how much do I react to what we saw last week? Like, that's the question here. And also, with all of these guys, 5 through 10, and I talked to, to Nico Pereira last week um, about just how close they, they are. Like, they're all very, very close. You know, when all of them lose the first match they play or the second match they play, it, it's really difficult to, to make any progress in sorting them. <laughs> so... So the power rankings are a mess, a total mess. Here they are. And and again, I try to keep my like opinion about how they're going to do at the U.S. Open. I try to keep my opinion out of it and look at a couple of factors. 
what what have what did they do last week and the week before in Washington in some cases? What have they done this season, especially on hard court? And what have they done in the past at the U.S. Open? I just try to look at the results and come out. And with young players, you need to do some extrapolation, right? You can't penalize young players because they haven't done as much at the U.S. Open. Um, but just taking that into account, like with Alcaraz, for example, you got to take more into account what he's done this year um, on, on the hard courts. Uh, but but for everyone else, um, or for, for the older players especially, those are the three factors, really. All right, here we go. Um, Medvedev 1, Nadal 2, Kyrgios 3, Alcaraz 4, he moves down 1. So Kyrgios moves up 1 spot to 3, Alcaraz down 1 to 4. Pablo Carreño Busta enters the power rankings and comes in at number 5. Hercoc enters the power rankings, comes in at number 6. Casper uh, Ruud... Uh, enters the power rankings and goes to number seven. Uh, Felix Ojealiasim comes in at number eight. Tsitsipas at number nine. Berrettini at ten. Sinner, Fritz, Rublev, and Nori are the next out. Uh, Tsitsipas moved down three spots, by the way, and Berrettini moved down five spots. Uh, again, like I, I don't even know how much I want to delve into this because it's uh, it's so mushy right now in that area all i'll say is yeah i just decided to reward the guys who did great last week because is there is there enough between like there are issues with Hercoc and rude they've never done well at a hard court major they they haven't but they've done well at hard court masters rude has now you know made the final in miami semi-final in um in canada Hercoc has an incredible resume uh, in the hardcourt masters. So you take that into account. They did great last week. Cool. You get the benefit of the doubt because your, your Titi passes and your Berrettinis and your FAAs, you know, they all have better histories at the U S open. Um, Fritz, the Indian Wells champion center is kind of an, an in-between guy. He doesn't have a great run at a hardcourt slam, but he's been great. You know, he looked great at Wimbledon and Umag. So I, I was ready to kind of pump him up here. If he did well, he didn't. He lost to PCB like a lot of other guys did um, on this list. You know, no one's taken it by the horns, right? Andre Rublev loses to Dan Evans uh, in the first round. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I gave it to the guys who earned it, who did well last week. Because right now, nobody's resume is really jumping out. Um, and that's that you have Kyrgios, who's been the star of the summer so far at number three in terms of results. I mean, he did beat the world number one last week. I know he didn't go all the way. I know he didn't make a semifinal or a final, but he beat the world number one last week. You have Nadal, who's obviously going to be a, a total force and will only get one tournament. And we'll see how he does, but, uh, he's obviously one or two. And then you have Medvedev, the defending champion at the U S open, who's been the best player, on hard court statistically in the last couple of years. And uh, he drew Kyrgios, who's number three in the rankings this week in the second round. So he gets to kind of stay put at one and you chalk it up to a bad draw. That's where we're at right now at the U.S. Open Power Rankings. I'll flash it up on the screen one more time just so you can take a look at it. Um, and then I think uh, I think we can move on. I don't know. We're, uh, we're going to learn a lot next week. And... Expect things to be very volatile from four all the way through to about Rublev. Um, 
Oops, sorry about that. Uh, I expect things to be very volatile because there's just not much between any of these guys. Let us move on to the final that we witnessed in Montreal. Pavel Karenia Busta beats Hubert Hurkacz in three sets. 3-6, Extremely well-deserved. 31 years old. You don't often win your first Masters title at that age. The last person to be that old, or in this case older, uh, before winning their first was Isner when he won Miami. And uh, Karenia Busta is just one of the great workhorses of the tour. He is you know, just an absolute talent maximizer. He won his first 500 last year. Hadn't won a 500 until winning in Hamburg last year, which is easy to forget. And now he wins his first 1,000 this year. Had the, the medal at the Tokyo Olympics last season as well. And uh, he's going on a similar run that, that he went on last year. From Hamburg when he won to the Olympics when he beat Djokovic and Medvedev, and he looked incredible. And I actually picked him last year, and I just, I totally had forgotten this. I picked him to make the final of Cincinnati last year because of how well he was playing. So this is his time of year. He's found his form again, but this run was just absolutely spectacular um, from Karenia Busta. Uh, beat Berrettini, Holger Rune. Yannick Sinner and Jack Draper all in straight sets. Um, and honestly, most of the sets weren't close, except uh, Draper took him to a breaker. And then he beat Dan Evans in three, and he beat Hercotch in three. Never came close to losing a match, though. You know, there were there were no great escapes here. I guess, uh, oh, that's, I guess that's not true. I guess that's not true, right? Because Evans, no, 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 it is true. He never came close to losing a match. Yeah, he was never on the fence. It it, it was a dominant week from uh, Karenia Busta. Uh two-time US Open semifinalist, Olympic bronze medalist. This is uh this is a guy who's knocking has been knocking on the door. The kind of player who you can look back on his career and a player of his caliber, you know, sometimes they have a run like this and sometimes they retire and you you look back and you're disappointed that they never got this kind of run. So I'm, I'm glad PCB won't be in that camp. Uh, what stood out to me from a general perspective on his level, I thought he played much more aggressively on the forehand. And he was sure of himself and confident on that shot that can, can sometimes get tight and nervous and uh, fail him. And he also came in way more than I've ever seen him come in. He's got skills at net. He's always a good doubles player. But uh, for the most part, he tends to stay back unless he's absolutely sure that he's going to get an easy volley. Uh, I think he was a little bit more daring this week. I think he came in with some more reckless abandon. And ultimately, he easily played a top 10 level here. And I don't know how you could you could have watched him this week. I don't know how you could even just look at those score lines against the caliber of player who he was beating and and not agree with that statement that Karenia Busta was a top 10 level, uh, was at a top 10 level this week in Montreal. As it pertains to the match with Hercotch in general, I said in the preview that we would probably be sitting here tonight or today and saying either Hercotch had a good forehand day and he won or Hercotch had a bad forehand day and he lost. 
Because at the end of the day, the match was going to play out a certain way. And with Hercotch, that is so often the difference between a guy who is uh, somewhat unbeatable, especially for a player who can't really match him for for firepower on the serve and is not really an elite returner. Um, you know, against that kind of player, if Hercotch hits his forehand well, then you, you have yourself a player who's almost going to be impossible to beat for a Karenia Busta. Uh, luckily for PCB, and I don't want to make it sound like Hercotch didn't play well uh, or Hercotch played below his level, but luckily for PCB, Hercotch just didn't have that great forehand day. And it turned into a match where, like so many Hercotch matches that he ends up losing, you point to two moments where his serve got broken because his forehand was bad. And that's why his serve got broken. He missed some first serves. The second serve returns came into court. They got into rallies, and Hercotch's forehand wasn't good enough. And and that's what that's what happened here. You look at the second set uh, at Love 1 with Hercotch serving. Started it with a double fault. Uh, then he made a shot selection error, taking a forehand down the line, which he missed wide. He then tried to redirect a forehand inside out on a first ball that he caught late, and it went wide again. Missed it on the same sideline. And then he made a forehand unforced error at Love 40 once again. So double fault, three forehand unforced errors. There's the break of serve. There's the second set. Then you look at the third set, and the break comes at one all. First point of the game, Hercotch. Oh, I actually have screenshots here to show you guys. Uh, here's the first point of the game. This is a forehand in the middle of the court. Hercotch has his feet set. It is the, uh, I want to say, the fourth shot of the rally. And Hercotch just misses this long for no reason. It's just a simple trade. Uh, now we go to 30-all. Again, Hercotch right smack in the middle of the court with his feet set. There's nothing difficult about this ball. And Hercotch just decelerates and buries this, not only into the net, but into the middle of the net. Now we go to 30-40, and Karenia Busta hits a return very, very safely into the middle of the court. And Hercotch is like, crap, Like I can't hit a forehand, so I'm just going to drop shot. And guess what? He misses the drop shot middle of the net. So that's three forehand on four stairs again. So three three forehand unforced errors in both games, and I will mention that the the other point that PCB won in this one all game in the third set was a Hercotch forehand drop shot that Karenia Busta got to because it wasn't well enough disguised, and PCB read it and then finished on the next ball with an overhead. So it would be you know I, I'm not going to be harsh here, and I'm just going to say three forehand unforced errors, but. The other point was a forehand drop shot, and he lost the point. So in a way, you could also blame the forehand for that one. So um, those were the breaks of serves that gave that put PCB out in front in both of the sets that he won. And I also thought that Hercotch's forehand in particular really struggled for the rest of the third set. You look at the numbers overall. Forehand on forced errors. 14 for Hercotch. 5 for Karenia Busta for the match. Those are baseline, uh, forehand on four stars from the baseline. Then you look at average speed. I don't have it for the match, but Karenia Busta in the first set averaged 10 miles per hour faster on the forehand than Hercotch. 
So it's not like we're looking at, as you guys know, we're not looking at uh, an unforced error count, but PCB has a low-powered forehand that he rolls in and Hercotch crushes it. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. So it just accentuates the difference in level uh, between these two forehands, and that creates the the contrast in baseline effectiveness, ground stroke effectiveness. I said before the match in the preview that Hercotch, um was going to win the unreturned serves battle, and he did. In fact, Hercotch served great. 70% first serves in, 61% unreturned, including 18 aces. You can't ask for better than that. That is a dominant performance on first serve. Now, as soon as the return bounced in play, and this came down to the screenshots that I showed you and what I just described to you um, in large part, but as soon as the return was in play, PCB won 25 points, Hercotch won 17. That is taking away all of the service winners and the aces. And uh, it's even taking away all of the um, the double faults as well. Every time the return landed in play, 25 to 17. Now, you might be saying that that, you know, is okay and that should be expected because PCB is a great baseliner. Here's the problem with that. You look at what Hercotch does on the third shot of the rally, which is the plus one ball. And that should be a shot that based on Hercotch's big serve, he should have great numbers on that shot. Uh, because the big serve sets up short balls on the plus one. But Hercotch on the third shot of the rally finished the match with six winners and six unforced errors. Uh, PCB, in comparison, um, six winners, two unforced errors on the third shot of the rally. You look at second serve points one, 71% for Karenio Busta, 30% for Hercotch. This is a total mismatch off the ground. That's what it comes down to. And if you're going to beat Hercotch, that's what you have to do to him. Now, it takes an immense amount of talent to actually dominate him to that level. Because most players on tour, even though Hercotch may not be an elite baseliner, he's still a good baseliner with really good defense, great counterpunching, especially for his size, So and, and an awesome backhand. So a lot of players still, they can't dominate Hercotch from the baseline to that extent. They don't have what it takes. And yes, the baseline mismatch really comes down to forehand potency, forehand consistency in a big way. However, I want to reiterate that Hubie is a great counterpuncher. And Carreño Busta did an awesome job once again, as he did in the match against Dan Evans, of coming forward to finish. And I don't think that the, that the discrepancy um, off the ground would have ended up being as wide had Karenia Busta not found this incredible effectiveness at net. He went 13 for 16 at net. Uh, Hercotch, who is a net rusher, at least, you know, especially when he's playing correctly and when he's at his best, uh, Hercotch went 18 for 26, so a lot less efficient. And all in all, Hercotch won only five 
more points at net than PCB did. And you'd almost think, considering the play styles, that Hercotch would have a larger advantage in that area. So I can't say enough about, um, first of all, just Karenia Busta's baseline game and just how deadly it was. The depth, the consistency, the weight of shot, the angles that he came up with, the way he moved the ball around the court, the way he finished at net. Uh, and there was no blinking, you know, and that is what is so hard about playing Hercotch. You got to think of him like a... Uh, a version of Daniil Medvedev uh, just doesn't have quite the movement and the returning and a couple of other things as well. But, you know, you're not going to break him because he has an elite serve, maybe a top five serve in the sport. So that's one edge of end of thing, things. Really tough to break him on the serve. And then on the return games, he just makes balls and moves really well. So it requires you, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't have the best racket head acceleration or the best weight of shot from the back of the court, uh, he's still going to make you execute over and over and over and over again. And if there's one thing that Karenia Busto was just so incredible at in this match and throughout the week, it was it was the the solidness of his of his game. The fact that the that loose service game never came. It just didn't come. He didn't blink. Now um in the first set um, Hercotch won this really, really long baseline rally at Laval and actually got PCB gassed. And then uh, Karenia Busta made a couple of mistakes uh, that came from impatient on the next impatience on the next two points because he actually didn't have his lungs. So that was impressive by Hercotch. And then uh, Hubie with a great second serve return, which he uh, he was not able to keep up uh, throughout the match at all. Uh, but he, he got that one aggressive second serve return in to get the break at, at Love, actually, in the first set. So that was the difference in the first set. Uh, but that was it. No break points. No break point opportunities for Hercotch for the remainder of the match. Just that one game in the first set. Karenia Busta um, did a really good job, by the way, on the body serve. Jamming up Hercotch, which made it very difficult for him to uh, attack the second serve, especially on the ad side. Instead of going out wide, where Hercotch is really good at taking that backhand return down the line, uh, Karenia Busta went body very effectively. And then he went, he pretty much went body, um, body T on the deuce side, which was also an effective strategy. So awesome performance by, uh, by Pablo Carreño Busta. Let's get to the preview. Cincinnati. Uh, first of all, I want to start by uh, shouting out some of the qualifiers. There was a there was a, there was rain tonight in Cincy, and they had to delay the uh, the the, quali the qualifying matches, at least a couple of them. Oh, now they're finished. Okay, Kakanakis won and Musetti won. So let me just tell you who the qualifiers are. I want to shout them out because I wasn't able to include them in the preview. And honestly, in these Masters 1000 draws, I find I find that to be very annoying when I don't see the qualifiers because there's uh, they make up a large portion of the draw and they're such awesome players considering the, the cutoff for these tournaments are basically like generally something like 50 in the world. All right, uh, Jaume Munar qualified, Henry Laxanen, David Gafan, Lorenzo Sinego, Marcos Giron, 
Tanasi Kokonakis, and Lorenzo Musetti. Given, given the court speed in Cincy and how much uh, offensive tennis is rewarded, I would say the guys you don't want to face, uh, certainly Gafan, who I believe has an awesome history in Cincinnati. That's just off the top of my head. I haven't checked that, but I feel like he has had some great runs in Cincy, and the court speed is great for Gafan. Um Mostly him. You know, that's the name that sticks out. Kokonakis is a great server, of course. So, uh, he's someone as well. And Munar is matchup dependent, you know? I really like the tennis that Munar is playing in 2022, but you know exactly what you're going to get from him, and, and it really just depends on the matchup. Uh, let's get into quarter by quarter. Again, these are quick courts, by the way, so it's not the same as Canada. Canada is uh, is not a fast hard court. It's a medium hard court. And uh, this is a fast hard court. So uh, keep that in mind as I go through this. Oh, by the way, I know that I said earlier that I hate the power rankings. I also hate this draw. Hate it. But I'm not going to explain why because that would spoil it. I'll talk about why at the end. Daniil Medvedev's quarter features Andre Rublev. Taylor Fritz, and Grigor Dimitrov. My dark horses here are Nick Kyrgios and Tommy Paul. My upset alert is Andre Rublev. And my early popcorn here is a lot. I couldn't pick one match. I really couldn't. This quarter is stacked with a capital S. My God. Um, it really is. So first of all, they... Uh, they played a first-round match, and Vanda Zanschgolt beat Cressy. So it could have been Medvedev versus a serve and volleyer in the second round right away for Medvedev. That would have been interesting. It's not going to be that. It's going to be Botic. Uh, you know, I think really highly of Botic, as I talked about last week. You have Tommy Paul here coming off that insane week. Uh, you have Jensen Brooksby in this quarter. You have Denis Shapovalov against Dimitrov, right? So that was a potential popcorn. Paul Brooksby is, in a way, a potential popcorn. You have Taylor Fritz against Sebastian Baez. Baez has looked, the court speed um, has looked like it's been way too much for him, and he hasn't been a threat at all. Uh, but Fritz is a seed, of course. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, unseeded player that nobody wants in their section, um, he lands in this quarter. He plays Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in the first round. And then you have Albert Ramos Vinolas against a lucky loser. Ramos Vinolas, who's had a really good season quietly. There's no fat in this quarter. There's like, there's just nowhere, there's no weak matchup. Um, and, you know, some quarters are just chock full. Like the bottom quarter here, almost every first round match, every first round match except one has a qualifier in there. This quarter has like none. It has one, and that's going to be against Albert Ramos Vinolas. The winner takes on Rublev. So this quarter is just completely loaded. Completely loaded. Uh, upset alert is Rublev because, uh, and I, I don't feel too strongly about it, but um, I do think Fritz will beat Baez. I'm confident with that. Uh, Dimitrov Shapovalov. Uh, I just feel like these courts have been uh, a little too quick for Dennis in the past, and he's had trouble controlling the ball here. 
So um, I I don't know. Like I haven't seen Grigor play quite frankly in a long time. Um, he hasn't made a lot of noise, but I'm I have some confidence that Dimitrov comes out of that as well with his defense and his uh, his serving. So. Uh, Rublev was the pick. I don't know what qualifier he will face. Obviously, Ramos Vinolas will ask a lot of him being a lefty, being someone who's going to kind of keep the ball on Rublev's backhand, make him create from that side, and uh, be ultra-consistent. And Rublev has just looked fragile to me, as I said last week. All right, quarterfinal prediction here is Medvedev defeats Kyrgios. Now, part of this, most certainly is the fact that although this entire quarter is loaded, Medvedev has a lot less, a lot less, uh, I'm missing the word here, but uh, less danger, less threats in, in his path. His path looks a little bit friendlier considering his highest, you know, the seed in his section is Dimitrov. Then you have, you know, Shapovalov, Tommy Paul, Brooksby, um, and and Botic, who he'll play first up. Uh, Rublev, on the other hand, has Kyrgios, has Fritz. So as far as who is going to... Sorry, I picked Kyrgios to make the quarterfinal. So Kyrgios has Fritz and Rublev. So Fritz and Rublev versus Dimitrov. Uh, obviously, uh, it's a little bit tougher on, on Nick. Um... So that, that's part of why I put Medvedev through. The other thing is, look, Medvedev's a great player. He's got to make an adjustment. And I think if he mentally commits to making an adjustment, I, I do feel his talent will do the rest. His talent will do the rest, and he will uh, he will figure out a way to counter uh, Kyrgios's serve and volleying. We saw what happened in Australia earlier this year when Kyrgios stayed back, didn't serve and volley every point. Um, and Medvedev, um, he needs to start to take these, the potential adjustments that he needs to make. He needs to take that seriously. And I don't know, he's a great player. So I will uh, put faith in him doing that and I will move him ahead to the semifinal. I really felt, I, I, I you know, I, I do feel that these tournaments are, are just made for him and, and he's played really well at Cincinnati in the past. Uh, Tsitsipas is the number four seed in his quarter is Hercotch, Berrettini, and Schwartzman. I will say right now, this uh, this Tsitsipas quarter and um, and then the other quarter in the middle, the Alcaraz quarter, to me, those are kind of, uh, these are the weaker quarters in this draw. You know, something has to give when you have that stacked top quarter. Something has to give. My dark horses here are Brandon Nakashima and Seb Korda. Korda um, picked up a couple of wins in D.C. to end a really, really difficult stretch. Huge offensive weapons, a lot of firepower off the ground, so he's dangerous. But sometimes he's going to make 40 unforced errors. So I don't know, like, which Korda do you get? That's the question. I don't have tons of faith in him, but I do have some. Uh, Nakashima's good on a lightning quick court. His serve is underrated. His backhand is a gem. He's improved the forehand. His volleying is fantastic. He actually has really good offensive instincts. So uh, he is someone who is, uh had a really awesome run at Wimbledon. And 
I um, I'm quite high on Brandon Nakashima in general. And he's got a great little section of the draw here. Aslan Karatsev, round one. Um, and then the winner of Schwartzman and Alex Molchan. Two players who would uh, rather be playing this matchup on clay with all due respect, especially the speed of this hardcore will not suit either of them. So uh, I really love the position that Mulch, uh, that Nakashima is in in this part of the draw. And for Seb Korda, he will take on uh, Karen Hachinov in round one, rematch of that ridiculous uh, Wimbledon match that they played last year. And uh, then he'll take on the winner of Berrettini Tiafo. Uh, my upset alert is Stefanos Tsitsipas. He will take on the winner of Dan Evans, who had such a great week last week, and Philip Krajinovic, uh, who makes you earn everything. Krajinovic beat Tsitsipas last year in Hamburg, and he is not a player you want to play, Krajinovic, if you are not at your best. If you're at your best, you're going to beat him. You know, he's never going to take the racket out of your hand, ever, and he's just going to make you play well. But if you don't play well and you make a lot of errors, what Tsitsipas has recently, uh, you could be in trouble. And these courts are a little quick. Now, Tsitsipas has made the semifinal of Cincinnati twice, which sort of surprises me. Again, just based on the speed of the courts and the trouble that we've seen Tsitsipas have when the speed has been ratcheted up to, to, to this level. Um... But he still is on upset alert, just looking shaky at the moment, and uh, doesn't have a particularly uh, doesn't have a particularly kind draw in the winner of Evans Krajinovic. Uh, if you are asking me to make a prediction here, though, I actually don't think Tsitsipas will be upset. I think of all the seeds, he's the one I want to put on upset alert. Um, I will address my popcorn match, my early popcorn match, Berrettini versus Tiafo. I do think Berrettini's going to win it. I think Tiafo has a good return offensively. I think against the biggest servers in the world, he really does get aced a lot and uh, tends to guess, do a lot of guessing. I just don't think he makes a lot of returns against great servers. So to me, that bodes well for this uh, round one matchup with Berrettini. It is my early popcorn match, though. I'm excited to see that one. That could be a really um, exciting and high-level match. Quarterfinal, Hercotch defeats Tsitsipas. Again, I do think this is a weaker section in terms of uh, players who can challenge the uh, the top seeds. Uh, when it comes to Hubie, I would uh, I don't love someone coming off of a, a final last week. You know the fatigue factor is there, but we've seen Hercotch do well in these kinds of situations, at least in the Sunshine Double. And uh, again, these are his conditions. Best of three sets on a hard court. This hard court is particularly fast, and it should reward his serve. And uh, I like his draw. The winner of Benjamin Bonesy and John Isner in his first matchup. I think it's huge for him that he has a bye to get some extra rest. That uh, will be uh, and should be a key for him. And uh, I just don't think, you know, um, between Berrettini, who obviously could be a tough one, and that would just be tie breaks, uh, you know, Hatchinov in there, Korda in there. I just think Hercotch is uh, definitely my choice here to come through. And then if he ends up playing Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, I think that's a great matchup for Hercotch between the way he serves and how much difficulty Stefanos will almost certainly have. 
uh, dealing with that. And then that righty-to-righty, backhand-to-backhand pattern that I think Hercotch will really fancy himself. Um, you know, the depth and the penetration and the flat ball that Hercotch brings with his backhand cross-court is a ball that we've really seen Tsitsipas struggle to handle in the past against similar opponents like Daniil Medvedev. It's just, it doesn't bring the best out of Tsitsipas's backhand if he does make it as far as the quarterfinal. Moving on to Carlos Alcaraz's quarter, the number three seed. The top seeds here are Kasparud, Ruud, Cameron Nori, and Marin Cilic. My dark horse here is Emil Rusevori. Ran into the eventual finalist last week. Uh, ran into Hubert Hercoc. Played a very respectable three-setter with him and lost. But I still maintain that Rusevori is just about ready to break through with the big result. And he is my dark horse once again as he uh, has once has been rewarded with, uh, I believe, a more favorable draw than... Um, actually, no. His draw... His draw is kind of tough. J.J. Wolf, hometown kid, first round. I could have made that the popcorn match, but I didn't. Upset alert is Kasparud. Um, this, uh, this court speed makes things a little bit tougher. Uh, Canada is not only a slower hard court, it is a high-bouncing hard court, which really did reward uh, Rude's forehand. I just don't see Cincinnati as uh, being as favorable for Casper. So uh, upset alert among all of these seeds. I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced that Casper's going to go out. Uh, ben Shelton, the lefty wild card from uh, the United States. Uh, Rude sometimes does have trouble with these lefties who uh, serve well to Casper's uh, backhand uh, or a qualifier. Slash lucky loser. So I'm not really sure. And that's what kind of makes it hard for Rude. But I have him on upset alert here mostly because I don't think this court is as kind to him as uh, Canada. Early popcorn, Murray Vavrinka. Look, at a certain point, Andy Murray stops needs to stop getting the early popcorn match. At a certain point, that's going to happen. Uh, but it's not this time. Not this time. Playing um, another legend. It is the battle of the... Uh, of the, uh, I don't know what to call it. That toxic argument where some people think that Stan is as good as Andy, where like zero statistics in the world back that up, except for total majors one. Literally the only stat that you can possibly find that uh, has Stan on Murray's level. I love Stan. I mean, all with, you know, Full respect, incredible, uh, nothing but love. But he, his career, it's wasn't on the, it isn't on the level of Andy Murray. All right, here comes my quarterfinal prediction. It is Marin Cilic defeats Casper Ruud. Yeah, uh, I don't go with Alcaraz here. Um, first of all, part of this is is this. I'm I've been too chalky, and I just got to break things up a little bit because the tour. In these Masters events, it just they haven't been chalky at all. They've been pretty crazy, actually. I mean, Miami was nuts. Francisco Sarundolo made a semifinal. Uh, Rude made the final. People didn't expect that, really, although it wasn't absolutely stunning. Uh, and then we know the bottom half. You know, we just had a 
Carreno Busta versus Dan Evans semifinal in a Masters 1000. So things have been really chalky, and uh, I just want to break that up. So I uh, I feel like Marin Cilic, given the level of tennis that he has shown at times in 2022, his offensive mindset, his serving, and his aggressive returning, uh, I think, and and his history at Cincinnati, which is good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give the nod to Marin here and put him through to the semifinal. Alcaraz will need to serve well against Chilich because Chilich, if you miss your spot on the serve, he's one of the few men on tour who will actually just try to hit a winner. He'll be like, "Oh, you missed your spot on the serve. Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a winner. Yeah, that's that's how I'm gonna do this." So uh, I think it's kind of a rough matchup for Alcaraz because it really challenges his spot serving. You know, you have to hit your spots against Chilich. You really do. And as you can see, despite Rude being on upset alert, uh, look, I know I've done this two two quarters in a row. Uh, I don't actually, I'm not really predicting him to lose, you know, against Ben Shelton or Qualifier, who I don't even know who it's going to be. I would just temper expectations. By the way, though, uh, Rude's seed is Cam Nori, right? Uh, Rude owns Nori. It's an awful matchup for Cam. Cam's cross-court backhand just doesn't work because Rude is so good from a low contact point on the forehand because he gets the ball up and down so well, um, which is a huge problem. And uh, even, even Cam kind of struggles to rush Casper on the backhand because uh, his forehand is is obviously a little bit more loopy and Casper just he's unbothered by that heavy topspin on the cross court forehand it's a it's an awful matchup and uh, Rude has has handled him so that's another reason why even though I'm I'm not feeling great about Rude in these conditions I'll uh, I'll still get him to the quarterfinal because he's got uh, a seed who you know, he doesn't have any really dangerous unseeded players. And then the seed that he does have is someone who he uh, plays great against. We move on to the number two seed. Rafael Nadal is back. And in his quarter is Felix Ojeali-Assim, Yannick Sinner, and Roberto Bautista Agut. Look, I know I said that the top quarter was stacked. But as far as seeds go, this quarter stacked. RBA... Really good on fast hard courts. Really good. So tough. Yannick Sinner. Felix, who's uh these conditions will suit him a lot better than Canada. And uh and Rafa. The seeds are incredible. Now, what about the unseeded players? Um I don't really know because they're all qualifiers. Like all of the qualifiers got p placed in in this. Uh my dark horse here is Alex Dimonor. Uh, lightning quick hardcore. Yeah, this is uh, this is his jam. This is his jam, really. Um, we see him do super well in Atlanta. Won the title twice there. Uh, it helps his spot serving. He gets forward. It helps him be more potent on the backhand where slow courts just the ball kind of checks because he hits it so flat. And that happens on his forehand, too. So uh, Demon Orr is a dark horse. Uh, my upset alert is Felix Ojeali-Assim. Um I don't feel all that strongly about that, but here's the thing with Felix. Um, and again, I, I like the conditions here for Felix. It's just emotionally, that was a lot last week. There's no doubt about it. 
the highs were extremely high and I think the lows were probably extremely low. And I just, I'd prefer if, like, I do think that he'll play Cincinnati well in his career, but I have a feeling he's going to have to gain some, some more experience before he does that. And it would be better if you were coming from Toronto. I just feel like Montreal is another level. And I think we could have some mental and emotional hangover. Uh, not to mention uh, Demonor. Alex Demonor is, uh, could be his first match. So there's no easing into this for FAA. By the way, they've never played on tour level. Last time they played was Challengers. So I don't really know what that matchup even looks like. Early popcorn, Nadal versus Borna Chorich in a potential round two. Now, Chorich has to get through a qualifier in round one, but uh, how great would that be? I feel like it's been a long time. Although Borna Chorich has been back and we've seen him and, you know, he's been around. Uh, I feel like it's been a long time since he's really been in the spotlight on a center court. I can remember maybe one match where uh, I feel like there were a lot of eyes on him, and I'm, I'm blanking on, on what exactly it is. But uh, it'll be great to see Borna Chorich challenge himself against an elite player once again. And by the way, uh, he always played Federer extremely well. Uh, I'm pretty sure he played... Um, I'm pretty sure he has a win over Murray. Uh, yeah, he, he always kind of rose to the occasion in these, in these kind of matchups. So uh, that is your early popcorn. In the quarterfinal, Rafa Nadal defeats Yannick Sinner. Uh, I do feel good about Yannick Sinner right now, just in general. Uh, the loss against Karenia Busta, I guess, could be chalked up to just running into a buzzsaw. And uh, these quick conditions for, for Sinner, uh, I don't hate it. You know, it'll obviously... I don't love it either for him. You know, it's kind of neutral, but he returns so well that... That can can be an asset on these kinds of courts, certainly. That he won't be disrupted and bothered by the pace of the serve. That's always a good thing. Right now, I, uh, I'm i not going to bet against Rafa. I feel like he has... He's taken every precaution to really be ready. He strongly considered playing Canada, which makes me think he's going to be even more ready for this. And, uh, man... We know what he's done coming off of injury this year. He has won. So you got to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt. And I did the same in the final weekend. Here it is. Medvedev defeats Hercoc in three sets. Nadal defeats Chilich in two sets. Nadal defeats Medvedev in three sets. Here is why I hate this draw. Because, well, you know, we didn't see Medvedev Hercoc last week, but we could see Medvedev Kyrgios again. We could see Kyrgios Hercoc again. Like we just saw this, it feels like all the big servers are clumped up on the at the top there. And I like it when big servers play not big servers, and at least you get the contrast. Uh, you know, and then I have no complaints about the bottom half, other than the fact that uh, Nadal's quarter does feature some players that. I um, I I could have been very, very high on, and I could have moved through to the semifinal, which, you know, it, it happens. It happens in every draw. No complaints. Um, but ultimately, I'm just going to roll with Rafa. I think in 2022, when he's healthy, that's been the way to go. Uh, things have not been great at Cincinnati for him as of late. 
Um, he did, uh, let me actually look up the history real quick of Nadal in Cincinnati. So that I can refresh myself. I know it's been a while. I know it's been a while since he's done well here. Um, it has been since he won it in 2013, which was, uh, I think he beat John Isner in that final, huh? Yes, he beat John Isner in that final. Since then, third round, third round, quarterfinal. Hasn't played it since 2018. But uh, another reason why I like Nadal this week, he is uh, he, he got there early. He's getting used to the conditions. He's getting used to the balls. And uh, that should pay some dividends as well. Uh, I'm, I'm just more confident in him also making the final than I am anyone else here. You know, Medvedev has a terrible draw, potentially has to face Kyrgios. Uh, Hurkacz is a terrible matchup for him in the semifinal. And then for Rafa, I think it is a lot kinder, despite the fact that I think Felix on this court, if he gets through the early goings, if he's playing his best tennis and it's in a quarterfinal, I think that can be very difficult. Uh, Sinner is very difficult for him. Ultimately, I roll with Rafa Nadal. Coverage again in Cincinnati will be pretty uh, comprehensive, I am happy to say, and I look forward to that. Hope you enjoyed this. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.